Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Transporting goods from one country to another is made possible by the men and women of the trucking industry. Trucks or lorries ship almost every type of commodity needed and wanted by consumers. Whether it's a load of baking ingredients for a family-owned bakery or your long-awaited catalog order, truck drivers make this leap from a warehouse to a front door for our convenience a possibility. One of these lorry drivers is Martin Cairns. Martin was born in the United Kingdom from Newcastle-upon-Tyne in 1976. After graduation, he moved to Rotterdam to drive for a Dutch hauling firm. Seems easy enough for Martin, driving to different countries, seeing different sights, and hearing different sounds. Not only was he doing this job for himself, but for his fiance and child. You see, Martin is working extra hard now that he was an expectant father. In the early months of 1999, Martin was driving his usual route on his lorry. His boss, Leo Bergwerf, was in contact with Martin on the radio throughout the drive just to check in. Sometime after 10 in the morning, Martin radioed Leo and said, Hey, radio communications may stop because I am entering a tunnel. Leo acknowledged. An hour later, Leo tried Martin back, but there was no answer on the radio. Leo asked himself, maybe there was traffic in the tunnel? So he looked at the lorry's location via satellite link. Now usually, this satellite will show blinking green dots that represent all of the active lorries en route to their destinations. Leo tried looking for the green dot showing Martin's location. He looked closely and carefully but cannot find it. It was gone. Like it just disappeared. You are listening to Untimely, a podcast about events in earlier or recent history that resulted in untimely fatalities and damages in its wake. I am your host, Lynn. I am sure that at least one of you agrees with me that tunnels are quite the engineering marvel. Imagine blowing up a mountain with such surgical and calculated precision that it only destroys through a specific portion and the mountain remains standing strong. Tunnels give access to many areas where access is either impossible or too time-consuming. In this episode of Untimely, we'll talk about the eighth longest tunnel in the world and an unfortunate accident that stained this white mountain forever. Besides delicious food and beautiful views, France and Italy share another thing, the Great White Mountain. 
in french it is called tonnel du mont blanc and italian as monte bianco although the french version is more recognizable mont blanc is the tallest of all the mountains in the alps that towers at four thousand eight hundred eight meters high or fifteen thousand seven hundred seventy seven feet like the famous mount hood that we talked about in episode twelve the actual elevation of mont blanc's summit varies due to the amount of snowpack that covers the peak long ago during the end of the nineteenth century people used the railroads to travel from france to italy or the other way around because there was no other way to get through the mountain in nineteen forty six count dino lora tutino took it upon himself to start digging through the mountain and open a shorter passage between the two countries as an engineer he launched the drilling of monte bianco from the italian side at his own expense on the other side the townspeople of chamonix agreed with tutino and allocated some land for him to survey and build a structure unfortunately Totino was stopped by the Italian government, even though he was able to drill as deep as 260 meters, or 853 feet. Nevertheless, the project was abandoned. Some years later, both French and Italian governments agreed that building a tunnel would make sense for socio-economic reasons from both sides. Discussions about the tunnel continued until March 1953, where both countries finally agreed to build a tunnel to connect both countries and avoid the long commute around the mountain in 1957 both italian and french parliaments ratified the agreement which triggered the construction of the mont blanc tunnel before the actual construction was planned two excavation companies were formed to work together and build the tunnel one from the french side named atmb or Autoroutes de Tonnel de Mont Blanc, and the other from the Italian side, named STMB, or Societies de Tonnel de Monte Bianco. The mountain was surveyed, plans were built, and in 1959 the official work began in January on the Italian side, and six months later the French side commenced. The two companies had 5,800 meters or 19,000 feet of tunnel to dig in each side until August 14, 1962, when the last rock was demolished and the two countries met in the middle and exchanged flags. Celebratory drinks followed this historical moment and were welcomed by the public. Even though the two countries of France and Italy spearheaded this monumental task, other neighboring countries, such as Belgium and the United Kingdom, greatly benefited from this venture since this tunnel marked a more united Europe, both physically and fiscally. To give you a sense of the immense work put into building this tunnel, let me throw some numbers at you. The tunnel is 11.611 kilometers long, or 7.2 miles from the town of Chamonix, France, in the east, to Cormayeur, Italy, in the west. The two-lane highway is 8.6 meters or 28 feet wide. The actual road that goes through the tunnel is not straightforward, but from each opening, the road goes up in pitch and then goes down again out on the other side. If you dissected the tunnel to show a cross-section of the mountain, it would look like an inverted small letter V. The highest point of the tunnel is 1,395 meters or 4,577 feet at the center. 
The machine that bore the hole through the tunnel was 82 tons and took 783 tons of explosives to pave the way. A total of 4.6 million man-hours was spent to complete the tunnel and 771,240 bolts and 66 tons of cement. After three years of intense road building and work, the Mont Blanc Tunnel was finally completed. It was built on the blood and sweat of many workers from both sides and in some cases resulted in deaths. During the years of construction, about 23 workers lost their lives. On July 16, 1965, then-Italian President Giuseppe Saragat and French President Charles de Gaulle inaugurated the opening of the tunnel. In Saragat's speech, he says about the tunnel, This work of peace, which we are inaugurating today, is for the world a symbol of willingness and trust in the virtue of the work of humans, which builds, day after day, the life of nations. Three days later, at six in the morning local time, Mont Blanc Tunnel opened from both sides and allowed the private and commercial vehicles to pass through. The one-way toll from each side at that time was about $1.50 U.S. in 1965, which is now $10 in 2019 dollars. Although today, the toll will cost you about $51 U.S. dollars one way and the return is a bit higher. Through the years, the tunnel was inspected, checked, and upgraded. In 1990, fireproof shelters and surveillance cameras were installed. A patrol from both sides rode in and out of the mountain to ensure safety or assist any travelers that may need help. Approximately 2 million vehicles used the tunnel for personal travel, but it is also used by commercial trucks and vehicles to carry goods from one country to another. And for 34 years, this man-made marvel inside the mountain was the best and was never blemished with any major incidents. Until the year 1999. Gilbert de Graves was born in Belgium and frequently traveled across Europe, transporting consumer goods back and forth. Like any other day, March 24, 1999, he was hauling 9 tons of margarine and 12 tons of flour aboard a Volvo tractor trailer. Since he was carrying consumable goods, this trailer was equipped with refrigeration to keep optimal temperature. Gilbert expertly navigated through the sharp switchbacks of the Alps. He had done this many times before, so it was an easy haul. Around 10.46 in the morning, the truck entered the French side of the Mont Blanc Tunnel, heading towards Italy. The truck's loud engine rumbled and echoed inside the tunnel. Since it was still ski season in the Alps, there were several cars as well, armed with ski racks and packed bags. About six minutes in the tunnel, Gilbert started to notice several vehicles from the other side flashing their headlights. He also began hearing cars blaring their horns. He looked to his side, then the other, and then his eyes made its way up the rearview mirror. To his absolute shock, there were several pillars of white smoke coming out of the trailer. His trailer. Gilbert looked ahead and made his way to the side and pulled over. Once the truck was at a complete stop on the side, Gilbert grabbed his fire extinguisher inside the cab, shut off the engine, and got out of the truck to put out the fire. As he was walking to the back, Gilbert readied the fire extinguisher. When all of a sudden, 
the trailer exploded into a huge fireball and spread the fire on all sides. Gilbert was taken aback and started to run away from the truck towards the Italian side of the tunnel. He was about 5 kilometers or 3.1 miles from the exit, so he made a run for it. On the other side of the burning truck were about 50 people inside their vehicles, trapped inside the blazing inferno. The margarine acted as fuel and turned the white smoke into black, noxious fumes, which made it impossible to see anything. On top of this, another truck, also traveling inside the tunnel, was carrying what was believed to be chlorine and was caught in the fire. The air turned toxic. Over the next 10 minutes, the tunnel became a chimney of fire, smoke, and blistering heat. The temperature inside the tunnel shot up to 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit, which was about a little under 1,000 degrees Celsius. Ten drivers tried to make a U-turn to go back, but the fumes overwhelmed everyone inside the tunnel and made it hard to breathe. Tires from cars started to burst due to the heat, and the emergency telephone wires began to melt. The walls of the tunnel began to disintegrate and exposed layers of rock. A few drivers managed to get out of their vehicles to get away, but the fumes caught up to them, and the toxic air suffocated their lungs. Without oxygen, many met the same fate and asphyxiated. Though some were able to get further away, the tunnel did not have any exit routes other than the two entrances, so their lungs gave out. Some people found their way inside fireproof shelters, but these shelters were not built to withstand the intense heat of the explosion. The fire doors were constructed to protect against four hours of fire and fury. It was hell. The black smoke reached the tunnel's opening at the Italian side and got the attention of patrolman Perlucio Tinazzi. Tinazzi, whose nickname was Padino, realized what was happening, so he got a hold of a breathing mask and jumped on his patrol motorcycle to try and save someone. He found an unconscious Maurice Lebras, a French truck driver, and pulled him aside one of the shelters. He radioed the tunnel control room to let them know where he left Maurice and that he was going to go further inside. That was the last radio communication ever received from Tinazzi. The brave story of Perluccio de Nazi have conflicting reports. Some say he saved 10 lives. Some say that was not possible given the gravity of the fire and air toxicity. But whether he saved one life or 10, Perluccio Tinazzi unfortunately died trying. His body was later found close to the truck that Gilbert was driving, and there was almost nothing left to his motorcycle as it has melted with the tunnel floor. The smoke detectors inside the tunnel also alerted the French side. A fire alarm was pulled somewhere near the entrance on Italy's side. Then, a phone call was made in one of the emergency booths far away from the fire. Nine minutes after the fire started, both sides of the tunnels were closed off to prevent more vehicles from getting trapped inside. Within 30 minutes, over 50 firefighters from France, Italy, and Switzerland bound together to fight the inferno. A team of 14 French firefighters got as close as 300 meters or 328 yards from the truck, but the smoke and the heat became too unbearable. 
the group of firefighters hid behind a fireproof shelter. Later, they were rescued by another crew using ventilation ducts, but their captain died from injuries at the hospital. Even with their combined efforts, the fire raged for 52 hours and it took at least a week for the tunnel to cool down where it was deemed safe for the firefighters and rescuers to go inside. The firefighters were only able to go inside the charred tunnel in short bursts due to the toxic fumes that still emanate from the tunnel. The nauseating smell reached outside the tunnel and exhausted firefighters left the tunnel with blackened faces, eyes stinging and every one of them coughing, even with heavy-duty breathing equipment. There were about 20 trucks and approximately 11 cars inside. Inside some vehicles were bodies slumped over their steering wheels, defeated by panic and asphyxiation. In many cases, it became impossible to identify bodies that turn into ash or have entirely burned. In total, the death toll from the Mont Blanc Tunnel fire was 41. Those among who died included a French family of five, an Italian family of four, a firefighter from France who died from smoke inhalation while attempting to fight the blaze, and a British-born lorry driver, Martin Cairns. The coroner's report stated that the people who were trapped inside the tunnel all died within 15 minutes, a small reprieve despite the devastation. Even though the fireproof shelter did not completely protect those who sought refuge inside from the intense heat, there were at least seven people saved. Fresh air flow ducts from underneath the tunnel floor were also used by rescuers to remove survivors. Out of the 50 or so trapped inside the tunnel, a total of 12 survived the ordeal. But the damage was done. The tunnel shelters were demolished. Ceramic tiles from the ceiling fell on the ground, and over a kilometer of the road, the asphalt was damaged. The damage was not only to the physical aspect of the tunnel, but it also set back the small economies of the towns near the tunnel. Tourism decreased, and the closure of the tunnel basically cut off all goods and industries that relied on the tunnel's ease of transportation. Restaurants and merchants reported a significant drop in profit. One shop owner even said that the closure of the tunnel set back his business finances about 40 years. Even with the suggested alternative route of the Frejoux Tunnel between France and Italy, the closure of the Mont Blanc Tunnel was greatly missed. The engineering world was shocked with the degree of devastation that happened to the Mont Blanc Tunnel. After the investigation, it was concluded that the following caused the fire from the truck to spread and intensify. The 550 liters of diesel in the truck, the tons of margarine and flour, and the combustible foam that lined the refrigeration. But what exactly caused the fire is still unknown. There was speculation that a lit cigarette was thrown at the truck which caught the edge of the trailer, while another theory states that it was caused by a mechanical malfunction of the truck. It was also proved that the nearest smoke detectors were not working, and emergency crews working the fire did not use the same radio frequencies as the control center, which made communication impossible. It took three years to repair the tunnel, and this opportunity was taken to upgrade its safety features. 
the STMB paid out 13.5 million euros, which was at the time around 17 million US dollars to the surviving families of the victims. The total of the repair was 481 million euros and also resulted in the creation of a unified company that operated the tunnel instead of two. On March 9, 2002, at 1 p.m. local time, the Mont Blanc tunnel reopened to the public. The toll was free of charge for the entire weekend. A British couple vacationing in the Alps entered the tunnel three years after the accident, welcomed by cheers from onlookers and honking from vehicles in line to follow. In January 2005, a court in France tried 16 people and companies with charges of manslaughter. Those indicted included Gilbert de Graves, the driver of the truck, an official from the French Ministry of Public Works, Volvo, the truck manufacturer, and both the ATMB and STMB companies. In July of the same year, only 13 of the 16 defendants were found guilty. The Graves received a four-month suspension, the charges against Volvo were dropped, and several other individuals were suspended and given fines. Gerard Roncoli, the head of tunnel security, was given six months of imprisonment with an additional two years of suspension. The new unified company to oversee the tunnel is called the European Economic Interest Grouping of the Mont Blanc Tunnel. Now, the new tunnel was rebuilt with safety in mind. Every morning, firefighters test the response speed in case of an emergency. Better communication devices were installed along the tunnel with alarm systems and emergency phones available at 100 meters or 109 yards apart, all of which are connected to a central command station. Over 120 cameras are focused on several parts of the tunnel, watched over by command patrol. There are a total of 37 shelters linked by an escape tunnel and are equipped to withstand over 1,000 degrees Celsius of heat. Each shelter has firefighting equipment and phones connected to Central Command. Four water tanks that can hold up to 120 cubic meters of water are readily available in case of emergencies. Three evacuation tunnels were built, which also acts as air vents, even though 76 steel fans were installed to remove smoke into an exhaust channel. Smack dab in the middle of the tunnel is a small fire station with a fire truck and emergency vehicles ready to deploy. Sensors were installed all over the tunnel, and at both entrances, infrared sensors are posted to scan all vehicles as it enters the tunnel. If any of the trucks or vehicles entering the tunnel are within the cusp of overheating, they are not allowed to enter until the engine is cooled down. There are also 3,860 smoke and fire detectors inside the tunnel. Every 150 meters or 500 feet, purple flashing lights remind drivers to stay at a safe and required distance of 150 meters apart. Once vehicles are at the toll plaza, their entrance was closely monitored at regular intervals. The maximum speed allowed is 70 kilometers per hour or about 45 miles per hour. Lastly, any dangerous goods or chemicals are not allowed to be transported through the Mont Blanc tunnel. All trucks and cargo are inspected at a site close to the tunnel well before they reach the entrance. 
Tunnels around the world performed several safety checks after this incident at Mont Blanc. A European Council designed and implemented minimum safety standards on all tunnels following this accident. Any new tunnel constructed after 1999 mandated these precautions while 48 others needed to be updated by 2005. Two memorials stand in the city of Chamonix, France, on the access road to the tunnel. First, a white sculpture in the shape of the Alps with Mont Blanc in the middle, with an opening at the bottom and 39 gold rods piercing through the mountain inside the tunnel, were erected to remember the events of March 24th. To the right front of the sculpture is a plaque with the names of those who perished in the tunnel. On the Italian side, a plaque with Perluccio Tinazzi's name is emblazoned in bronze. Ten years after the accident, the tunnel was closed from 9 in the morning to 12 in the afternoon in honor of the victims. Hundreds of motorcyclists paid respects to Tinazzi by riding through the tunnel simultaneously. Perluccio Tinazzi was awarded posthumously for his bravery and heroism by the Italian government. Thank you for listening to this episode of Untimely. I'm curious to know what you think about this episode. Have you ever gone through the Mont Blanc Tunnel? Drop us a note at untimelypodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you learned something new about this episode and would like to listen to more, spread the word to your friends and family. Subscribe to our podcast, then rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. If you would like to suggest topics, connect with us on Twitter at untimelypodcasts. We'd love to hear from you. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.